Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives differently and explore topics relevant to all areas of their life. Hello, Life Reframers. Sandy and I have another great guest for you today. Today, we're going to learn more about communication and especially how women communicate. It is my pleasure to welcome Danielle to our podcast. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. Yes, thank you. I'm jumping in already. It's great to be here. I'm excited about this interview. Uh, Danielle has spent over 15 years in the communications business, mostly in the public sector. In that time, she has worked with many women and men who have helped her gain a broader understanding of the nuances of professional communication, including verbal and nonverbal communication. Danielle holds a bachelor's in international relations and a master's in professional communications, focusing on international and intercultural communications, an educational background that has served her well as she negotiates our modern workplaces. Danielle loves public speaking and presentations and takes great joy in mentoring and coaching people to showcase the best of their talents and abilities in that form. And today we are both very excited that she is with us today to share some of her insights and learnings with us. Um, we'd love to jump in with a question, and I, uh, I'm getting stuck on intercultural communications because that is super important today, especially in our workplaces as we navigate all these virtual offices and virtual worlds. So we'll get into that a little bit further as well. But first of all, Danielle, I'm curious about how you started your career. Um, you've had a nice long career in communications, and I'm wondering, is that something you always wanted to do? No. Um, <laughs> Love it already. There's a story. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, however, what I do like, I've, I've always really been interested in people, and I've always been an extrovert, and I've always gotten a oh. lot of energy um, from people, and that's how I, I learn about the world through the stories that people tell. And so when I was going through school, that's why I did international relations first, because I wanted to learn about the world and I had traveled fairly extensively as a, as a young child. And so I wanted to learn a little bit more about that. And so the political science and the socioeconomic differences and all of that stuff really intrigued me. Mm. And then frankly, I went into the workplace and was nonplussed to say the least (laughs) and sort of you know, I managed to land a really lofty job as a receptionist um, and uh, wondered why nobody really cared what I had to say. Uh, so after a few years of that, I decided to go back to uh, do my master's and um, I found a program that just really seemed to resonate with me. So it took that that uh, international and intercultural flair of things that I really like and put it into a communication context um, so, and uh, I mean, at the time I wanted to be an ambassador and save the world and I still haven't decided exactly how I'm going to do that or not, but, uh, <laughs> I do find it really interesting to see how the words and the way that we communicate really impact change. I've just made a little bit of notes about you grew up traveling and so did you move a lot or did you vacation a lot or when you were traveling, you know, I'm just curious about that part of it. So what was it that really planted that seed in you to want to explore the whole intercultural space more? Well, I was, uh, well, I'll tell you, I was incredibly cosmopolitan before the age of three. Um, <laughs> I, my parents 
uh, actually lived in the Middle East and Southeast Asia throughout the oh, wow. 70s. And then I was born in Singapore. Oh. And then we moved around. My father was in aircraft radar, radar and onboarding systems. And so we moved around a lot um, when I was really young. And we lived in Europe. And, uh, and as I said, I was born in Singapore. So... I think I just grew up like that. Yeah. We actually emigrated to Canada when I was three, and then we stopped the international nomad life. Uh, but at the same time, we still traveled to places, and our dinnertime conversation was very, very different than, than other people. The people that my father knew were international people from all over the world. And so I was exposed to a lot of different people and a lot of different attitudes at a very young age, which I think just gave me a broader perspective of the meaning of words and how people communicate from a very young age. I've been doing some work around cultural intelligence. I don't know if you've heard of David Livermore, but he's um, sort of, you know, one of those people who's written a lot of books around cultural intelligence and, um, you know, that it's it's not just where you're from or your ethnicity mm -hmm. that's part of culture that it's much it's much more than that mm -hmm. you use the phrase um the meaning of words and i i really liked when you said that i wrote it down because i think that is really important when we talk about communication there's certain phrases that even intergenerationally would never be used in one generation that would be used in another generation to mean something completely different. Um, something that can sound completely offensive to one person is something that is in common, is a colloquialism now, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, I work with a Kiwi, so she often has some very colorful <laughs> phrases as well. I also think that when we're trying to inspire action, the meaning of words are very different depending on what your, what your end goal is. So if you aren't trying to inspire action, direct words that, that are affirmative and action-oriented and inspire that sort of movement in your language are much more effective when you're trying to do that. But it's all about how you use those things and the tone and the presence that you give those words. You can say the same thing six different ways and have six different outcomes, and it's the same sentence. And so the words themselves are flat. They are, when you're reading words, you read the intonation into it. But when you're presenting or when you're talking to people and when you're truly communicating, you're using the words to enhance the meaning that you want to give them. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, it does. I I think my mind went somewhere else totally when you, were, when you said that. And um, it's funny how you make a leap, but I was thinking about this... Um, movie I saw that you probably saw called Arrival. Did you mm -hmm. see that movie? It was about, uh, it was an Academy Award winning movie this year, or a nominated movie, and it was about communication. It was about this uh, linguistic professor who is trying to communicate with aliens. And, and so totally she's, oh, you need to see it. it. Sounds fascinating. So she does this whole thing about around words and how we just, you know, even if you just ask a question like, how are you? How much people need to know to be able to understand how to answer that question. Like she just kept backing it up in trying right. to simplify communication and get it down to its very basic level in the movie. Awesome. I like that tone and presence. 
And uh, I, I know we probably all have worked in the area of communication. We're all presenters and have probably done more reading than people who don't present. It's really true. I think what is difficult about that is that we aren't usually aware of our tone and presence. No. And that's Mm -hmm. evidenced when you see some people speak. Because speaking also to a larger crowd or making a presentation, you speak very, very differently than you would if you're Mm -hmm. sitting around a table with a bunch of your girlfriends. And you should. And I think that that's something, that's one of the the things that people tend not to do is change their tone and their presence and the way that they speak depending on depending on that situation. Let's talk about verbal and nonverbal communication. <laughs> <laughs> the other day I was talking to my uh, my colleagues at work and I was explaining a project and and one of the colleagues just stopped me and she's like, "Oh my gosh, talking to you is like talking to a cartoon character." I I am very animated when I talk and I, I use a whole bunch of different facial expressions and I find it impossible to say a single sentence without using my arms and I'm a big gesturer <laughs> and I tend to take up a lot of space when I talk and sometimes that has caused me problems because people don't want me to take up that much space. And <laughs> so I, uh, I, I rely very heavily on nonverbal communication mm. sort of by accident. Um, I am the world's worst poker player. If you ever want to win a lot in poker, play against me. I am completely incapable of doing any any sort of steadfast, steadfast, straight-faced communication. However, what that does mean is that I'm very much myself. So I've had to learn how to do that a little bit more and to be able to embrace that. I used to find it really difficult and get very embarrassed um, you know, because I thought I laughed too loud or I was too, too much, too many things. Mm. But a lot of that is that nonverbal communication. And depending on which study you read, that's between 80 to 90 percent of the message that you're trying to get across is what you look like and how you're standing and the, the space you take up in the room right. and your gestures and whether you smile or if you look up or if you stare at your feet or all of that other stuff around that, how fast you speak, whether you speak authoritatively or whether you kind of speak like this a little bit, it's very, very different. <laughs> you know, in our podcast, we talk a lot about women and helping women lead well and lead their best lives in whatever area that is, whether they're, you know, self-employed, corporate, C-suite, wherever they are, not in profits. And so... We're wondering, one of our questions that we had talked about was your perspective on some of the differences that you have found in the way men communicate and the way women communicate and maybe some of the traps that women fall into. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I've noticed this in not only when women are presenting, but just in the workplace generally. Um, There's a few things that we do and that we... I think we lose our power from. So one of those, that sense of presence, women are taught not to take up much space. So whether that's physically with the weight loss trends and everything else, or whether that's mentally 
where our opinions we feel like aren't necessarily valued as much or whether that's verbally where we're less likely to put our hands up and ask a question for fear of being ridiculed, etc. I've noticed that around a boardroom table, even at a meeting, it's the women that are more likely to sort of scoot over to make room for the new guy or to sort of sit on the side and perch with, with your pen and paper, whereas men t- tend, to, tend to come into the meeting more and just sit in a spot and spread out and say, okay, here I am. And I think that when you're presenting, it's exactly the same thing. We need to own our spaces and we need to own our, our presence because that's actually what will resonate with people. They won't necessarily remember all of the things that you've said, but they'll remember how you felt. Mm. And so I think that women physically tend to diminish our diminish our presence in that way. Mm-hmm. And that sort of that sort of resonates with the you know the power stance and everything else. And mm-hmm. you can decide exactly what that means for you because not everybody is bombastic and sort of wants to stand there and 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 be that person it's not really about being somebody different but it's just about owning exactly who you are and so and just being very very comfortable with that and taking up as much space as that takes up yeah so what's um a way that someone could learn how to do that or what are you know some things that you think would be helpful to to get people to First of all, be aware of the space, how maybe they aren't um, taking up much space, maybe even not being aware that they're sitting on the edge of their chair. I can just visualize that. You know, I've seen lots of women do that, just sort of sitting, trying to look small, petite, tiny in their chair on the edge. And so how do you move out of that? Like what's some tips that might be helpful? There's a couple of things. So if you're going into a presentation and you're the presenter, remember that you are the person that is supposed to be making that presentation. Even if you're filling in for somebody, even if you don't necessarily feel you are the world's most qualified person, you are that person this today and this is who you are. So take a few moments and take a few deep breaths, of course, stand up straight, make sure that Every, I, what I try and do for myself is breathe out more than I breathe in. Mm-hmm. I find that that manages to lower my tone of voice. It also tends to make me speak sl- more slowly because as we get nervous, we tend to speak faster. And I think that it's important to do that. Um, also, understand that everybody else is in exactly the same boat. So nobody else is is necessarily any wiser or has any other feelings other than you and everybody else has their own internal dialogue and so yours is no less valuable and so when when you go in i mean whether it's with your peers which 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 is challenging because you know you'll see them again it's not a faceless room of people that you can just sort of say oops well never mind you know i'll never see them again (laughs) whoopee um it, it is more difficult knowing that you're going to have to see them the next day, for example, or, or, or every day for the rest of your career. Um, so, yeah, I think I think what what women can do is take a, a really deep breath and then really focus on what you're trying to say. Try and get out of your head and into the message. So focus on the reason that you're here. Focus on what you're trying to say. Focus on the outcome 
and less on yourself. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, women are, you know, it's really funny because I've actually asked, does that make sense twice during this conversation? And it's one mm. of the deadliest sins that we should do. And I do there it all of the time. Um, we, what are, what we, women's, women's ability to empathize is a, it was one of our biggest strengths, but it can come across as very, very weak. So when you, if you're presenting or if you're talking to people and you find that they're not really looking or they're looking at the phone or you feel like you're losing them, there's a really big tendency that women have to sort of bring everybody back and sort of make sure everybody's on the same page and be very conciliatory and collegial. And that's really, really great. And that's why we make good facilitators because we, we have that, that sort of, that sixth sense that, uh, that is sometimes lacking, but it can go against us in that it makes us sound like we are asking permission. Mm. You know, when you said that, I was thinking of a different phrase that I've heard um, a lot of men use instead of, does that make sense? And I, this just came to my mind, so it's I haven't really researched it or it could be totally wrong. But it's, are you following me? Right. Instead of, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's really different because it puts the... The words... The wow. responsibility on the listener. It's like to I'm, do the following. Yeah, they're leading. Yes. Yeah, they're leading. Yeah. yeah, and you can also say things, very very simple things. But I'd like to get your feedback on this idea afterwards. Yes, because then you're again putting it back on them, but you're also opening it up for a dialogue without sort of putting yourself in the back seat and having putting yourself in a position where other people get to judge you. Mm. If they don't understand, it doesn't necessarily mean that your presentation was bad. So if something doesn't make sense to somebody, that's not necessarily on you, for example. Right. Mm. Now, do you find, so I had an experience, I was a board chair and a couple of years ago, I was chairing the AGM and I had a couple of, um, men on the board stop me during my presentation and comment and kind of interrupt me and make comments on what I was saying. Sort of like people on the board. And afterwards, I sort of replayed the evening and I realized or I felt like that was sort of a because I was a woman. And if I had been a man, because I watched and they didn't, I watched them even with other men on the board, like the finance. Um, I can't think of the name like yeah the treasurer on the board doing his presentation and and nobody interrupted him even though he was not clear on a few things until after he spoke so I, I just think that as well I don't know if you find this but I think sometimes for women we get questioned more I think there's a couple of things that women do when we present and when we're talking that implicitly allows for that. But I also don't think that we can own what other people do. So there's that's a two part answer. And I do think that there's ways that we can offset that, hopefully, at the beginning. So before you start, it's always wise to say, I'm going to go through my presentation and I will take feedback or questions at the end. A lot of the time, if you if you know you're walking into a room that's very similar to that and you've had that experience before, for example, Sandy, if you're making a, a second presentation, 
I would strongly suggest starting that way and sort of asserting, look, I'm going to make this presentation and then we'll discuss anything if anything was unclear to you after this. Um, and also, and then you can always redirect when they do that, right? I mean, there are ways of sort of calling people out for being rude that don't necessarily sound like that sort of. That's a really great question. And we'll talk about that as soon as I'm finished doing this other thing. Thank you very much. And we'll just move on. So here's my next point. Um, women tend not to want to do that because it seems like we're being bitchy. Mm. And I think that we need to get over that. I don't think that any man ever wants, ever worries about coming across as too authoritative. Um, I don't think that that there's ever that, oh, well, do you think I was, I was too much me up there? Um, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't kind of come out from, from men, or at least not in my experience. It's, it's more the women that said, oh gosh, you know, was that really rude of me? And, you know, how did they, how did they react to that? So I think, I think that that's something that we need to get over as well. Mm -hmm. Who cares? You're the one up there. And I know that it's easier said than done, of course, but there are a few ways that we can do that. So you set the tone and then also similar to what Joanne was saying earlier, there's a way that we allow people to interrupt us during presentations. And it's the, it's one of the key things that women do that men don't seem to do. And that is that aspect of up talking we phrase statements as questions oh so if i'm saying and here are the latest financials that's a statement that is mm -hmm. a statement there there they are or and here are the latest financials um so i think that we should go over the numbers and if you talk like that you sound like you're asking permission Versus saying, and here are the latest financials. As you'll see on line two, we've spent $6 on widgets. It's much less conciliatory to speak like that. And women do that a lot. And I wish I had that whole evening on video because I wonder, it was the first time I had chaired an AGM, what I was non-verbally communicating. I must have been, like you said... I, or I suspect I was probably giving permission in some way to be interrupted or inviting questions. And I didn't, I, I love what you said about just positioning that at the very beginning, I'm going to present, you know, the annual report. And at the end, we'll have an opportunity to take questions and get feedback. I would do that Absolutely. again. Absolutely. Because, and you can, you can say things during the, during the presentation that says, this is a new idea, so when I'm finished presenting, I'd love your feedback on it. You can say those things. You can talk to people. You can... I think what we do also is we use words that are minimizing. So not only do we try and physically take up less space, we also do verbally. So the way that we use our tone or using filler words like I just actually here's the answer, or I actually think, no, you think, you, think, you believe, yeah, you are. Totally, yeah. And, it's yeah. Just, and it is just as valid, right? So I think that there's, there's little tweaks that we can do. I don't think we're going to ever solve the problems of 
people that are going to interrupt your presentation or people that think that they know more than you or any of that stuff. But we can start out at least setting the tone and see where that goes. Yes. Yeah, you know, and I, I get it. I mean, we are generally a lot more collaborative, so we, we probably invite some of that engagement. I think presence, whether you're presenting or at a board meeting or at a business meeting or, or with, you know, trying to negotiate with a new client, presence is really important. And when I first became a fitness instructor and I did like my, my regular training and then I was invited to do like a level two training and, and we spent like a half a day on owning the stage, like just presence as a fitness instructor. And so what I started to do only as I've, I guess my confidence has increased. If I go into a meeting now with people I don't know, and if I'm there first, I'll sit down or whatever. I used to just people I don't know come in and I, and I used to just not say anything. Now I actually get out of my chair, go over to them and shake their hand and introduce myself to them. And I feel like for me, that's part of establishing my presence in that room. Oh, that's um, huge. I think and, a lot of women yeah. wait for other people to introduce yeah. them. I'm, I've decided I'm not going to wait to the, you know, welcome to the meeting. There's a few people who don't know each other, so let's do a, a round table. Like I'm not waiting for that anymore. Yeah. Um, and I only started doing that about a year ago. I think that's part of what you're talking about, Danielle. Like we, we have to, it's everything. We have to own everything. Um, and we have to step into that space and be as assertive as, as we authentically can, I guess. How has it worked out for you? I guess I feel more uh, comfortable in, in the room rather than small. You know, and, and I was thinking about that when you were saying we, we try and demit, make ourselves small. And I would. I would literally sit there and I'd be like, well, I don't know that person. I'll just wait. I'll wait to the chairperson you know we do this introduction thing but um and you know I, I teach networking at the college and we have this great um handshakes video it's actually Australian and so a segment I do is around how to shake hands and I say to them as a woman I can say this because I'm a woman we generally shake hands quite weakly so I've been very oh. conscious about how to shake a hand because that is impacting our presence. That is impacting all the assumptions that the other person is thinking about us. Um, so there you go, nonverbal communication, I guess. So I say, I look, kind of look at all the women in the room and say, you know, we have to get better. I see a lot of students and they're both male and female. And um, I make, I'm very conscious about how I shake their hand. And 90% of the women is a very weak handshake like they're not comfortable like they're trying to make themselves smaller like you say they're, they're or they're nervous in that situation and I get it we, we have to practice it and we have to get over it and we have to own our presence I love it <laughs> great yeah I think I think that's one of the things it's it's the presence and it's eye contact as well mm. and I realize that there are cultural differences in men and women and eye contact and and physical touch depending on exactly how different the cultures are in the room. But in North America, if we're taking our current context at face value, it's very important for us to sit there and make eye contact. And we tend not to as women, or we wait for other people to address us first. And then we say, yes, I am so-and-so. And so I think I think you're right, Joanne. It's, it's something that we need to work on. And I don't think that that's 
unique to any specific generation or or culture. I think women generally, I my a weak handshake is one of my pet peeves. I will never forget it. <laughs> I am the same if I way. Someone and they give me some sort of limp fish thing. I'm like, what do I do with this? Danny, we'll put a link to this video on, on, in, our, in our show notes. Okay. Oh, for sure. It's awesome. the worst. <laughs> well, I had a situation where a friend introduced me to her new, her new man, and uh, he stood up, and it was like he put a limp fish in my hand. And I was like, <laughs> in my mind, I was like, you can't go out with him. <laughs> No, I'm like, how do you touch this person? Awesome. It reminds me of having to do square dancing classes in, you know, grade five, and everybody's super awkward and clammy, and you know, it just brings me all the way back there. It's just so not. Ugh. Oh, I feel the you same are way. Absolutely right. It all it's all part of our nonverbal communication, and it all affects how we come across. So you spoke a little bit about up talking. Yeah. Um, so that is, if I'm getting this right, it's it's phrasing statements as questions, which could mean that we are inviting, yeah, asking for permission. I actually thought it was around the tone of voice, but we'll speak about that in a minute. So what about down-talking? Down-talking is when you lose the ends of your words. So, and women tend to do this more than men, and they go, yeah, so oh, I'm I do that. <laughs> And, and it's like, you know, the energy just sort of falls off and then everybody goes, are we done? Is that, was that a point? Was that, so it's sort of as negative as up talking. You can use both alternatively in presentations to elicit response or to, you know, to, to make an example of something. Yeah. But because that is very important, as John said. I mean, it's it is all about your tone of voice as well. Because not everything needs to be a PowerPoint, and sometimes you actually are <laughs> saying, "Hey, does anybody have any questions about this? Or have we thought of this?" And you're kind of putting it out there, and you right. want to sort of get the head nods or the "Oh yeah" or whatever it is. But if you start talking like this all of the time, it really sounds like you either don't know what you're talking about or everything gets a little less serious and then you can lose it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when you said that, I realize how often I do that. And I, I just actually trickle off. Like I don't even finish maybe what I was going to say. Like it just. <laughs> yeah. Well, and sometimes it's because we're too much in our head again. So we're on to the next thing before our mouth and our presentation has finished the first thing. Yes. You know, so, I mean, I don't want this to all sound like negative and this is what everybody is doing wrong and this is all terrible. But it's funny when you listen to yourself. If you do ever get a chance to listen to yourself, I hate doing it myself. It's the worst. It's, oh my gosh. And, but if you listen to the way that you do things, you'll notice that there's ways that you are subconsciously changing how the words that you say mean, what the words that you say mean, which is sort of what we talked about way at the beginning. It's the meaning of those words that can, that your tone and your inflection and your nonverbal communication can completely change. Mm -hmm. Because if you say, hey, how are you? It's really, really different than, hey, how are you? Right. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. So I say right too much, but um, <laughs> so what I noticed. Okay, now I'm so, going to make you all neurotic. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are because we listen to ourselves every week on our podcast. So we, I don't even know how we can keep going sometimes. You notice I mean, one of the things that I do, which I'm doing right now, see, I'm, it doesn't doesn't matter if you know it. It's you're still going to do it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Is I I talk too. I talk very quickly. When I start to get passionate about something, I start speaking incredibly quickly because I know what I'm going to say and I want to say it all right now. And I figure that nobody's going to really want to listen to me say it for 20 minutes. So I'm going to put all of the 20 minutes worth of words into one run really, really quick sentence and say it all at the same time. And then I wonder why I'm losing people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and that can be a function of nerves and insecurity as well. I, I think when I first start speaking to a group of people, I really force myself to take a breath and speak oh. slower. Absolutely. The, uh, the power of silence is yeah. actually a very powerful part of present, uh, presentations and speaking. However, one second of silence when you're the person on the podium feels like an eternity. And you know this because you both have spoken in front of people and you look at them and you haven't said anything interesting yet. So their faces are just blank and you're staring out at these people and you're like, oh, God. But really, you're right, Sandy. It's really just important to take a breath and make sure that you keep that pace slow. And that can mm. feel like... You know, it can feel incredibly pedantic at the beginning. Mm -hmm. A really good presenter taught me one time to never speak over people in a room, but just be silent. So if you are at the front and you are ready to start and people are still talking, just stand there. And this quiet will come over the room. If you start and they're still talking, you lose something right away. And I had, I, I, I've tried that and it's really, it's interesting how that works. It's, I think he's right that if I start talking while everybody else in the room is still chattering after break, eventually they come back. But if I just stand there ready to go, then people start nudging each other, like sit down, mm -hmm. shut up, let her start. <laughs> it's really yeah. powerful. But it, and takes it means that confidence. you won't have to repeat yourself too. Right. right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I spent quite a few years in Toastmasters, and so that was really, um. in, really, really interesting to me. I went into it because I, I didn't know what I was going to do after work, and I wanted to do something that was interesting to me, and I figured that maybe if I had a captive audience, somebody might listen to something I had to say, and I could test out a couple of ideas, so here you go. But I found that the feedback that I got was fascinating because you don't really know how you sound to other people. Yeah. And it's really interesting. And even if you're not a presenter, and this is, I don't want to make this all about just whether or not you're presenting. This is just how you are in the world. Sometimes it's really interesting to ask people of all different ways that you interact with them, what, what do you think of me? Like, what are five things that you would use to describe me? Um, and hear what that actually says. It's a really powerful thing that I've done actually subsequent to that in in team situations, you know, when you're trying to get a new team on board or a new idea or something like that, it can be a really powerful way of figuring out who you are to that person. And I've 
found that people are a lot more complimentary to you than you think you, they are <laughs> and much more complimentary to you than you would be to yourself. So sometimes you can sit there and say, wow, um, that's really fascinating. People have come up to me and said, you know, I just love the way you describe that. You know, if anybody can do that, you can do it. And I've been sitting there going, I have no idea how I'm going to do this thing. And is anybody going to believe me? <laughs> and, you know, like, so it's just really interesting to see how you come across to other people. Um, because I mean, sometimes it can be a little bit different. You know, sometimes the feedback I've received is that I'm too forceful or I don't seem to want to take opinions and which is completely wrong. I just get excited about mine. <laughs> so Danielle, you mentioned that it's not just about speaking. And I think we communicate in a lot of ways outside of a public speaking meeting kind of context. Nowadays, we use technology more and more, whether it's a webinar or email or whatever it is, or, you know, we work on virtual teams. And there's lots of ways that I think our communication is impacted or the way we present ourselves uh, using technology. So what are some things that you think we need to consider when we're working with technology in our work and in our personal life as well? Or is that a whole other podcast? <laughs> I was going to say that's huge. However, what I can say is that there's a few times that we use technology where it actually is a detriment. And I think that this is important for people to, to sort of think about. It's really easy to fire off an email to somebody rather than picking up the phone, but it depends what you're trying to convey. And I think, I mean, rather, I, you can go into a great big long discussion on lean media versus rich media and intonation, for example. But if you have something to say that you either want to inspire action or get people on board or do something, then in person is best. And on the phone, Something that's a little bit richer is much better than email because a lot of the time, and I know you've probably received this email, the reader is reading your email feeling the way that they are feeling. Mm -hmm. So whatever you, it is that you think you meant, they're going to take it in a completely different way because it's devoid of anything else. And it's the same with texts and everything else. They don't know that you're juggling, you know, three children, two dogs, car keys, and seven bags of groceries when you just say, Kate. Sometimes it can seem really, really off-putting, and it can seem a little bit abrupt, right? So there's different ways that we do that. When we're talking about presenting and we're talking about technology, like in webinars, as we said, a lot of the time you lose the capacity to have any of that physical presence. Mm. So when you're doing presentations or when you're talking to people, even in a teleconference, I mean, how awkward is that all the time? You know, and then there's the muting and the unmuting and are you there? And it's important that that you sit there and you do the same things as if you did as if you did have those people in the room with you. You still sit up straight. You still take up that space at the table. You create an environment in which you can still be yourself and hold your own regardless of where that is. You wear and work think, clothes and not pajamas. Yes. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, for sure. It makes right. you sound different. It's sort of yeah. like when they say, you know, pick up the phone with a smile because people can hear it. Yeah. You can. And it sounds really silly. And, of course, if you're really, really unhappy about something, you're hardly, you know, it's going to be a little bit more of a grimace than a smile. But apparently <laughs> it really does work and it resonates through that. And so I think that that's something that we forget about technology is that we make it, we, we kind of become 
I'm going to sound cliche here, but we do kind of become more slaves to it than using it to facilitate us. Mm. We're supposed to be working in these virtual worlds to and virtual teams to be more efficient and to enable us to have more diverse viewpoints around the same table and to be able to work more effectively. But I think a lot of the things that we do completely hamstring us. I think the technology piece is probably another podcast we could have you back to talk specifically yes. about technology because there's so many levels to understanding how we communicate on technology. But I appreciate what you said about the using the right, like thinking about the kind of media you're using or the, the way you're communicating your message, whether it's a text or a phone call, what would be the most efficient and best way whatever your criteria is for that to make that to use it so we will um, continue that conversation but I have one last question for you and I know we've talked about some things along the way but if you are going to give our listeners one piece of advice one thing that would help them improve their communication so what's the one thing that you think most women need to do to improve their communication the most important thing for women to do is find your voice and I really think that that's important because that's going to be different for everybody and it's going to mean that you have to think about what it is that you are uniquely and owning that and I, for women what I think is important isn't going and being somebody else or being more assertive than you naturally are or doing anything that doesn't resonate with you authentically, but just finding your own voice and really owning it and being happy and comfortable in that space that you occupy and taking that space. Mm, I love it. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I have a few things that I'm going to start working on right away because of what you mentioned. And I appreciate your insight. And I want to just thank you, Danielle, for being on our program today. Well, thank you very, very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. If people wanted to reach out and uh, learn a little bit more, are you available for that? Or where should oh, they contact absolutely. you? You can get me on my Gmail address, uh, which is dvlemix at gmail.com. So D-V-L-E-M-M-I-K-S at gmail.com. Um, and awesome. I'd be happy to speak to anybody. Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.